Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. So hi, this is Shivana and this is a Philia podcast. Really excited to be sat here with Dr. Gail Dines, who is Professor of Sociology and Women's Studies in Boston. Um, Gail has just spent the whole day with us talking about porn and its impact on society. Um, you must be absolutely knackered, but I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Knackered is right, yes. Uh, I'll make sure we don't keep it for too long. Um, I want to sort of dive straight in, actually. Um, you mentioned that um, you feel that porn is hijacking our sexuality. What, what does that do? Well, it basically means that, you know, sex is sexual desire is something that people own, it's, a natu- it's very natural, it's normal to have different desires, to go through a developmental stage when you get interested sexually in whether you're gay, straight, whatever. And what's happened is that the porn industry has come in, taken that very critical developmental stage, which is often around early adolescence, and has hijacked it in the way they are offering, instead of you know a creative, experimental sex that peers on peers can do and find out what they like sexually, in comes the porn industry with misogynist, you know, hateful, violent imagery and teaches boys that this is what it means to be male, this is normative sexuality and patriarchy, uh, this violence against women, they love it, she wants it, And the hijack is that then these boys do not get to develop their own authentic sexuality and then they go and play this out on girls. So basically you've laid waste to the boys and you've laid waste to the girls because if you do that to the boys, the girls are going to pay in the long run. So sometimes people think that porn is something very separate, you have to sort of really seek it out, it doesn't affect the everyday person. If I'm not watching porn, I'm not affected by it. But you speak about the sexualization of women and how that's an extension of porn. What do, you, what do you mean by that? How does that work? Well, we say we live in a porn culture. So first of all, porn is everywhere. Um, you cannot go on the internet without it either being passively delivered to you. We know that um, the average boy around 11 or 12 often gets it passively delivered via uh, YouTube, Instagram, whatever platform they're on. Um, also that the images and the narratives and the stories of porn seep into our everyday culture. So the idea that women are disposable fuck objects, the idea that to be masculine in this culture is to be predatory, all of these ideologies are really not, porn didn't invent them, they were out there. What porn did is it really delivers to men a very clean, crisp, succinct, unambiguous version of those misogynist ideologies. And really, boys and girls, but especially girls, have to figure out a way to survive in a culture where you have an industry that is built on violence against women. One of the things that had the most impact on me when I heard you speak was the dichotomy between being fuckable and invisible, being two options for women. Um, what's the sort of pressure on young women um, to be fuckable and what's the um, challenges in choosing to be invisible? Is there a choice there? And if there is, how do young girls feel about that? In, in my experience of lecturing to you know thousands of young girls, um, they don't really 
get, until you actually put it that way, which, and I hear a gasp in the audience when I say fuckable or invisible, because they suddenly realise that is something they have been forced into without really getting the uh, sort of trajectory of their lives. Um, you'll often hear young women say, you know, I wear heels and thongs and lots of makeup because, well, I feel good in it. But when you really bring it down to, well, what choice do you have? Because if you don't conform, you're going to invisibility. And of course, we know that adolescents really need to be visible. It's part of what adolescence is about. So most girls, I'm finding increasingly, do conform because there's nothing else on offer. When I was growing up, there was many images of what it meant to be a woman. And one of them, thank you know, the goddess for feminism, was to be powerful and strong. You know, and that's not really out there anymore today. Um, so I think when I meet girls who are choose invisibility, and they do. I mean, they say, I chose invisibility. I didn't want fuckability. But I have to tell you, I'm lonely. I'm isolated. Um, I have no friends. I can't choose the fuckable one because that's not who I am and that's not who I'll become. But this is not much fun either, being invisible. And certainly, you know, when you have young women um, dressing up as low-cut uh, tops, pierced belly button, the mesh that's now... You know, it's very interesting. Whenever I go into um, high schools and talk about what does the fuckable look, look mm -hmm. like, I'm often one season behind, and they have to all correct me, you know, right. given that they're younger than I am. Um, and then they really get talking about, they, they feel exploited, they feel manipulated, but it's never been put to them quite so succinctly. Mm -hmm. as these are the choices you've been given. And actually, if you've only been given two choices, then neither one is really a choice, is it? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've been forced into it. And I think the mantra of third-wave feminism of choice, choice, choice mm -hmm. makes no sense when you really see how this culture works. Mm -hmm. I remember I went out um, one night and I saw a man with a T-shirt which had a, a woman who was clearly being objectified. Um, and I must have got annoyed and said, what's that shit on the T-shirt? Um, and I was really taken by his response. He said, no, no, she has power. And I, I think that's kind of picking up on your previous point. There's this idea that if women... Um, quote-unquote own their sexuality or are owning being a sexual object there's power associated to that um, and you know my response was well how many beautiful women are running the world so obviously when we talk about power in its truest sense that's not what it looks like but what do you say to the very many women especially quite recent and quite topical who are part of that industry uh, whether it's porn or whether it's just the sexualization of women um, who say, we want to do this, and mm -hmm. actually by stopping us from doing it, as was the case with the women who were being paraded sort of around sports cars, etc., you're taking away our right to work. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing I would say is that I probably would not speak to many women who are in the industry at that moment, because you have to survive in that industry. And I, I don't think I would survive two minutes in the sex industry, so certainly I would not go in and lecture any woman in the sex industry. Mm -hmm. You know, she does what she does to survive, she has to, if she's in the porn industry, deal with an assault on the body every day. If she's being prostituted, you know, she has to deal with that every minute of every day. Um, so, first of all, I tend to work mainly with many women who are out of the industry and then who can reflect on it. I would say it's a valid point for women to say you're taking away 
um, how I earn a living, but really you shouldn't be blaming me, we should be blaming the capitalist system that says that the only way that women can earn a living is if you objectify yourself or if you see yourself as fuckable. That is ridiculous. It's like saying to poor people, it's your fault that capitalism exploits you. No, you know, we need to, a different economic system where everybody, not just women, but everybody has a right to earn a decent livable wage through a job that brings a sense of integrity, a sense of um, connection to the world that you live in, a meaningful life. But what, what is capitalism? Capitalism basically is based on the exploitation of labour with most people doing shit work for the 1% who get rich on it. That's, that's capitalism in a nutshell. So going back to um, porn, um, I'm, I'm sure you are often accused of being anti-sex mm -hmm. when you speak about being anti-porn. Um, what's the difference? I would say I am uh, pro-sex and that's why I'm anti-porn. They've got it the wrong way around. Yeah. I don't think you can be pro-sex and pro-porn. Right. You have to make a decision. Okay. Because the most anti-sex imagery I've ever seen is in pornography. Uh, the pornographers actually are not turned on by sex. They're turned on by money. They've got the wrong thing going here. So I think if you're pro-sex, you have to be anti-porn. I don't see how you can possibly be pro-sex and pro-porn at the same time. Porn really is to sex what McDonald's is to food, you know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a stripping down of a natural desire into something that you can monetize and can modify. Now, if I was out speaking about the effects of um, the fast food industry and obesity and the environmental destruction, nobody would accuse me of being anti-eating. Right. Right? They yeah. would accuse me of being anti-the industry. Yeah. So uh, it's a pretty ludicrous argument that somehow if you're against the... the commodification and monetization of women's bodies you're against sex is two separate completely different things it's just testimony to the brilliance of the porn industry's pr uh well-oiled machine that they have collapsed porn into pornography into porn into sex mm -hmm. yeah when i first came across pornland um and i read your chapter about the uh, representation of women of color um, in the porn industry that was the first time i actually read a white woman talk about something i was like yes absolutely so thank you for that mm. um and I, I sort of picked up on this uh during the conference earlier but i want to almost return to it because i think it's a really important point uh, women of color are often um not spoken about enough within these spaces but our bodies are often um sort of battlegrounds mm -hmm. for which other people have our conversations exactly. and i wanted to sort of speak to you about what was your what did your research tell you about women of colour and the role that they play within porn or, or the, what is done to them. But also, interestingly, what's happening now around the, the link between politics and porn? So, for example, now you have women in hijabs and porn. And there's something really interesting happening there. I can't quite put my finger on I it. I think that's more the porn industry finding a niche market. Right, I okay. wouldn't think there's anything cultural. Okay. I, you see, the porn industry, is they're businessmen. Mm. If they can find a niche market to exploit, they will. So this is clearly a niche market that they found. So I, I wouldn't think this is an organic desire by women to be making pornography like that, no. Um, I think what's interesting about pornography and race is that you know pornography is based on the debasement of women. And we live in a sexist, racist society. So if she's a woman of colour, you get... It's a two-for-one, basically. You get to debase her because she's a woman and you get to debase her because she's a woman of colour. What could be hotter in porno speak than the double debasement? And what you notice about women of colour in pornography is that they seamlessly meld her debased status as a woman with her so-called debased status as a woman of colour. Mm. 
So there you get really hot sex. Because also what you see in porn is when it's a white woman, they don't refer to her as having a white pussy or a white this. But as soon as it's a woman of colour, she's got a black pussy, she's got a this, that. They always put the race beforehand. They racialize her body entirely. And I think you put it really well. that I think all women, women's bodies are the battlegrounds on which men fight over patriarchy. I think women of colour are especially fertile battlegrounds because of the racism and the sexism and the history of colonisation all gets played out on the body of women of colour. And that, again, is why they are perfect for porn because you can debase them every which way. What I really liked about your talk earlier is you outlined what the problem is but you moved more towards, well, what can we do about it? And I really want to sort of focus on that right now what what do you think is the solution going forward i don't think there's a solution no. i think there's multiple solutions um because what we're, we're fighting here is a huge global industry and you never fight a global industry with one solution so i think regulation absolutely i think legislation you know regulation via legislation education mm-hmm. The public health approach. I think making porn not cool, mm. like we made smoking not cool. Yeah. I think we need to get adults who are charged with taking care of children, which really is all adults, but especially uh, paediatricians, social workers, teachers. We need to get them on board, understanding the harms that porn is doing to the next generation. Um, I think most people have been asleep at the wheel over this. Mm-hmm. It is astounding to me that the porn industry has come in had the power it's had over the young people's lives, taken over the internet to the degree they have, and still most people don't know what's going on. It's still a shock when I speak. Yeah. And I get, like, when, I, when people are shocked by what I speak, I think, you should not be shocked. Mm. This should not be news to you. You should, be, you should know all about this. And it is amazing how the porn industry has always flies under the radar. What they get away with, no other industry I know that operates above ground gets away with. Bringing it back to the UK context, um, there's a couple of things that are happening here that um, I really think is important for us to latch on to. Um, I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on um, some of the things that are happening around um, the Age Verification Act and the Digital Economic Act. Yes. What, what's, what can we do to sort of push that through? Well, I think we need to make sure that it gets passed and it gets not only passed but that it is enforced, because laws are meaningless unless they're enforced. So in this case, I think there should be, make sure there's very heavy fines against companies that do not um, adhere to the age verification. I think that they should be, as they've said it in the app, be dropped at the internet provider level. And I think that we're going to need people organising to make sure that the um, people who are charged with actually putting this act into action do what they're going to do because what, what I worry about is you can have the best act, law in the world and unless it's being used by the correct um, authorities it's a useless uh, piece of legislation. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting because not only is it going to have a huge impact if it works on the porn industry and porn um, accessibility to porn in the UK for uh, under 18s, all of Europe is looking to see how this plays out. So I think people in the UK, especially feminists, should be pushing for this and on this because we don't want men to be in charge of this. We want feminists to be at the forefront of this, to make a statement. And then, of course, eventually what we want to talk about is why should men 
have access to images of violence against women. I mean, which at the moment we're focusing on children, and that's good, a start, and it's a foot in the door, but ultimately we have to ask the question, do we want to live in a society when any guy within five seconds can get to an image of a woman being brutalised sexually and he gets the right to masturbate, jerk off to it? What does that say about how women are treated, how women are thought about, and what does it say about our status in the world? I think porn is an excellent measure of where women are at, as is needed as a sex industry, which is why it needs to go away, and we need, we need to make it go away. I'm going to um, end on this question. So I, I work around um, ending violence against women and girls, and we have this term called vicarious trauma, which yes. is when you work in such a heavy subject, it's easy to sort of internalise some of that, to just feel really down. Um, but I also came across this term called vicarious resilience, which is when you're meeting with women who are incredibly strong and have overcome so many barriers, um, that you, you kind of, you, you bounce off that, that strength that they have and you internalise it. Um, you probably see some horrendous things mm. um, in terms of violence against women. What self-care strategies do you have? Um, because I think it's really important you know, to take care of ourselves as a starting point. Because... It's like they say when there's a, you know, in the airplane videos... Of course, you have oxygen mask on yourself, yes. What's, what's your oxygen mask? <laughs> um, well, my oxygen mask is being an activist. Yeah. I think without that, I'd go crazy. Well, it keeps you sane, is to fight. Um, because there's nothing worse than playing, being a victim, feeling victimised and doing nothing about it. Um, also, um, I say yes, certainly you do get trauma, but I think about all the women in this movement who actually have been prostituted, who have been in porn, and have the capacity to be activists. And I don't know how they do it. I mean, those are my heroes that I look to. That's where I get my vicarious resilience, is thinking, you know, these women have been to hell and back. They must be triggered so often by doing this work, and yet they do it. So that's where I get a lot of my strength from, is looking at these women. And ultimately, um, I do things I enjoy. Yeah. I love yoga, I do meditation, you know, I do those things and I have friends and family and also there's a group of us who do this anti-porn work and we have a kind of shorthand with each other when we're feeling bad that we email each other and we write in porn hell so everybody knows to call you right. to help you get out okay. of porn hell, yeah. so to speak. So um, we've built a support system like that. But, I mean, there's times when obviously it gets to you and you just can't stand it anymore and you think, oh... Um, I remember once going into my college and some students who were working in early childhood were drawing pictures of animals and stuff and I thought, you know, and I'd just been looking at teen porn and I thought, you know, how did I end up here? <laughs> you know, they're doing stuff around yeah. drawing pictures of animals to yeah. take into the schools. and uh, But, you know, somehow I, I heard this or uh, read somewhere that, you know, an activist is like um, an artist. They will wander the world and they will find their instrument and they will know when they found it like if you were meant to play the piano you will find a piano mm. I was meant to do this yeah. I found it and it does feel like my instrument I won't say of art obviously but it feels like what I was meant to do I found what I was meant to do well, that's a beautiful note to end on um, Dr Gardines thank you so much for your time and thank you for really helping us you know continue our conversations this is not going to be the end of the work to push it through so thank you so much well thank you so much for what you do as well thank you it's a pleasure